0: Good morning. morning. As Matt said, I'm very honored to be here with you from the United States and was a joy and a privilege to hang out with all of the advanced churches over the last four days. Really honored and appreciative to be here to preach and to speak and to teach God's word to you guys this morning. I take it as um, a blessing and a great opportunity, a wonderful opportunity that I'm very thankful for. My story is a story of a small-town kid, and so I grew up in a town that had maybe 100 people in it, planted a church in a community that has 422 people in it, and so I'm from a small town nothing like London and nothing like Poole. Um, Our community was a mining community that was lead mines. And in about the 1950s, had about 10,000 people in the, in the community where the lead mines were. But the lead mines shut down. The workers moved out. And only the people that were stubborn, do you use that word, stubborn? Stubborn enough to stay, stayed. And my family was one of those stubborn families that stayed. Uh, while I was growing up, my, my grandfathers, both of my grandfathers on my dad's side and on my mom's side, were Baptist pastors I was reading the history of some of the churches here, and it seems like some of the, I don't know if it's this side or this side has that, the history of being a a Baptist church in the past. So both of my grandfathers were Baptist pastors, and I got carried around to church and to different churches and to different ministries and would see their ministry and get to listen to them preach the word of God, and it was such a joy. But I never attended a church that had more than 60 people in it. And so um, I know many churches have small groups. You guys have small groups, community groups, grace groups. We didn't have small groups at our church. Our church was a small group, <laughs> <laughs> and it felt more like a small group. Um, I wasn't a believer until I was in about eleventh tw- grade, twelfth grade, in the United States, and I had an experience, an encounter with God, where I came to know the power of the the risen Savior, fell in love with Jesus, became a Christian. Met my wife. We were sweethearts in high school, so we started dating in high school, broke up, got back together in college. Um, but at the end of, of high school, I didn't know exactly what to do, and there had never been a man or a male in my family go to college, so I decided to go to college, and I was the first male in my family to go to college. But I didn't go to the big university, I went to the local community college, so we call that discount knowledge. I got a cheaper, I got my education, you know, I got my discount knowledge at the community college. And also, at the same time, um, was offered an opportunity to go into ministry. Uh, Some people who knew my grandfathers at Youth for Christ, it's a parachurch organization that does campus clubs for students in the states um offered me a job and i began to work at you for christ and to be um running bible clubs at local schools and and universities and and talking about jesus and we built a skate park in the middle of our small community to kind of reach out to kids and try to tell them about jesus and i asked my wife if she'd marry me i was making very little money but why why don't you come and marry me and we got married we ended up having four kids uh, I have four daughters, ages 14 down to four, uh, four girls. Oh, boy. No. <laughs> I don't even have any male dogs or anything. Yeah, I need to do something. So that's kind of my background. But while I was at Youth for Christ, I got a job as well working uh, as a university, a college pastor at a, at a local church, and started doing college ministry. But I, but I found that I couldn't get any of the kids that I was reaching through Youth for Christ or at the university to actually attend church with me. And so I did what any normal 23-year-old would do. I planted a church (laughs) without being sent out by anybody, um, without having the support and the help of any network like Advance. Really did not know what we were doing. And so we've had to walk through some struggles through the years. And it's so important to have a network like Advance uh, to come alongside and and to help. But the first Sunday that we planted the church, we had more people... In our congregation than any church I had ever attended. And so then, very overwhelming and not really sure what I'm supposed to do. Um, in 2006 was when we planted the church. In 2008, we sent out our first church planner named Rick Purtle to plan a church in a community about 30 minutes from us. 2012, we sent out a second church planner named Tim Gray to a community about 45 minutes from us. And then in 2013, the next year, we, set out, we sent out Matt McDonald another man that we had raised up uh, to a a community about one hour away from us to plant a church. And we've been just blessed by God to see a multiplying movement in our small town. And we've also baptized over 500 individuals. And so most most of the people who came into our church were new believers. They didn't transfer from other churches. They didn't go to church. And they came into the faith family and were baptized at our church. We've had an opportunity to have some, a little bit of global influence in Zambia, strengthening churches, in Thailand, we sent a missionary to Thailand, in Haiti, doing social justice or just uh, good deeds, deed type of ministry there. And of course, now I get to be here with you guys, so I'm excited. And the question comes often, I want to I lift your eyes to, to how big God is today and what God can do through a small town and a small community how he can save a lot of people in the town, but also how he can move people out. But the question often comes to me is, well, what did you do? (laughs) How did that happen? What's the special, uh, is there a secret? Is there some secret that we can do as a church to reach our entire community uh, for Jesus Christ? Um, The tendency for believers and even pastors sometimes is to think Uh, more about my story or person than about God's story and the cross of Jesus Christ. Uh, So the truth is, while some of that sounds wonderful, that we've baptized 500 people and we've planted multiple churches and we've seen God move in a mighty way, the truth is I'm a redneck, (laughs) very redneck. I grew up in a very poor family. I was never popular, didn't come from wealth or status. Um, The truth is that our church building is not impressive at all. It looks like a circus tent. He can show it to you. (laughs) Matt can. And the truth is that I have failed at at making disciples and sharing the gospel more than I have succeeded. And everything that's happened in those 13 years at our church called the bridge has been God (laughs) and not me. And not anything that we have actually done. There's no secret. There's no secret pill or, or weapon or something that we pull out. God moved in our community. And we need God to move in this community. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 talks about power and where it comes from. It also talks about that we can empty God's power. Um, be drained of God's power. And let's see that. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1. I'm going to preach from the English Standard Version. Because... That's what we use in our church. I know that you guys might use the NIV. Sorry about that. But in the English Standard Version, 1 Corinthians, verse 10, I'm going to read a few verses through verse 17. Paul writes to the Corinthian church, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind, and the same judgment. For it has been reported to be by Chloe's people that there is quarreling among you, my brothers. The letter of 1 Corinthians, you guys have read it before, and we know that Paul was a great missionary who planted this church and, and helped to strengthen this church, but this church had gone wild. There was a lot of chaos and conflict and quarreling. In the first few chapters, they're arguing about who their favorite podcast pastor is. In chapter 5... Um, The wrong people are having sex. In chapter 7, married couples who should be aren't. In chapter 6, they're suing each other. In chapter 8, there's idolatry and pagan worship. In 9 and 10. In chapter 11, there's people getting drunk at communion and excluding others from the communion table. Chapter 12, 13, and 14, you guys have read it. There's arguing about spiritual gifts. There's a whole lot of quarreling going on in this church, right? Arguing about spiritual gifts. Some people are too much, some people are saying none at all, and it's, it's just this great big argument, and Paul is correcting them. Chapter 15, they have questions about doctrinal positions and what the gospel is and what it's not, and the resurrection of the dead and the resurrection of Jesus. Chapter 16, instructions on offering, <laughs> and there's all, these, there's all this division and quarrels that's happening there. Now the reports come to Paul about all of this, that there's quarreling and division in their church. And Chloe's people, whoever Chloe is, is the one who who shared it. And Paul goes on. What I mean is that each one of you say, I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos, or I follow Peter, or I follow Christ. He answers, is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? (laughs) Or were you baptized into the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you except for Crispus and Gaius, so that no one may say that they were baptized in my name. And then he has what we would call a senior moment. (laughs) where he forgets that he did baptize somebody else. So he says, I think I may have also baptized the household of Stephanas. Beyond that, I can't remember whether I baptized anyone else or not. (laughs) For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, and not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. There's a way to empty a church of its power, and there's a way to empty... The message of um, Christianity of its power. And we see some of that emptying comes from quarreling and division for sure, but a lot of it comes from moving away from the central message of Christianity, the gospel, the cross of Jesus Christ himself. And here we get a few, we get some glimpses in chapter one of how a church can empty itself of the power of the gospel. And right in these first section of verses, verses uh, 10 through 17, we see that a, cross can, a church can empty itself of the power of God and of the message and the central tenets of Christianity, the gospel, when it values a man or a woman, a man's individual gifts over the corporate gift that God gives of salvation. And so here they are arguing, I follow, you know, some people are saying, I follow the original church planner, Paul. Others are saying, I follow Apollos. He was the rock star preacher. Everybody, he was great as a preacher. Some are saying, we follow Peter. He's kind of like us. You know, he's one of us. He sticks his foot in his mouth all the time, and he's just normal and, and um, all of those things. And other people are super spiritual. I don't follow anybody. I just follow Jesus. <laughs> I have follow no leader. But they've been attaching themselves to different men and their talents. In elevating a man's gift above God's corporate gift that he gives the church, the death of Jesus Christ on the cross. And the power is emptied, I believe, when we elevate a man's gift and we forget about the simplicity of the cross. It's very sneaky, but it happens. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, if you flip in your Bibles to the right, verses 3 through 7, Paul reminds us who men are. Verse 3, he says this, Why is there, While there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For when one says, I am following Paul, or another says, I follow Apollos, are you not just being human? What then is Apollos and what is Paul? They are servants, servants from whom you believed, as the Lord assigned to each. I planted Apollos' water, but who gave the growth? But God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God gives the growth. Yeah, yeah. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. for we are God's fellow workers, but you are God's filled, you are God's. you are God's building. He says these men that God has used and raised up, the church planner, the rock star preacher, um, Peter who the church was built on, you know, his confession of Christ, the gates of hell will not prevail against you, kind of the leader of leaders. They're just servants. It says, who are these people? They're servants of God. But God alone brings the growth. And when we look to man's individual giftings, rather than the simplicity and the foolishness of the cross, we can empty a church of its effectiveness. We can empty a church of the power of God. For salvation. What does Scripture say is the power of God for salvation? The gospel. Where does it say that? Do you know? Romans chapter 1, verse 16. Have you read it? Yeah? You know Romans 1, verse 16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God. But have you ever just stepped back and think about what we actually believe? What do we actually believe? Well, it starts in in Genesis 3, right? In Genesis 2. God created everything. He made us. He created us male and female. Um, And then Adam and Eve sinned. They disobeyed God. The serpent comes. The snake, a talking snake, (laughs) serpent, comes and tempts them. Tempts Adam and Eve. Did not trust God. Did not believe God. And so they do that. And then God invites them to relationship, the man and the woman, but he pronounces judgment on them. He pronounces judgment on the serpent, on Satan himself. He promises that there's going to be a male child come through Eve's line who's going to crush the head of the snake, and that the snake is going to bruise his heel. It's the beginnings of the gospel message. It says hope is coming, that there's hope for Adam and Eve's line, but there's no hope for Satan and his followers. And then years go, years go by, people keep disobeying God, and God keeps reaching out to them in covenant. He sends prophets to reach out to them and try to bring them back, and he makes covenant over and over again with his people, and we reject and we reject. And then then Jesus comes through a virgin, probably a teenager. God himself comes. His dad's a carpenter. He comes and he lives among us. Jesus does God himself. Virgin birth. Small town. Nazareth was probably 500 people. Bethlehem was a small town as well. He only spends a few weeks in the city and they kill him. But we say he lived a sinless life, a perfect life. They crushed him. And then we. We believe that he rose to life again, that he died for our sins, but he rose for our salvation. And then he's returning again, and he's returning again. You read it this morning in our prayer meeting. Like, he's coming in power again to make everything right. What's that sound like? It's good news, right? But to the world, what does it sound like? Crazy. Foolishness. And so I think we have a tendency then to look at men say, man, he's gifted. We need him, their gift. And we get ashamed of the power. And it says the power is that message, the gospel. Don't empty your church of the power by being ashamed of the foolishness of the gospel. It's, it continues in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 18 through 25 For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing or foolishness, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God the world did not know God, through wisdom, though it please God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews, they demand signs. Show us a sign. Greeks are like, tell it to us intellectually. We need wisdom. But we just preach Christ crucified. A stumbling block to Jews. Folly and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those who are called by God. Both Jews and Greeks, Christ The power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men. And the weakness of God is stronger, stronger than men. Church is emptied of its power when we value a man's giftings over the corporate gift that God gives of the cross of Christ. And, And a church is emptied of its power when we misplace our security. And we think that our security is in status... And popularity, in finances, and wealth, in looking wise, and being intelligent. This message <laughs> says it's foolishness, except to those who are called by God. It's a stumbling block to those who are wise. Salvation is supernatural. We can't conjure it up. We can't convince somebody. Salvation is supernatural, and God must work in a person's life. And so we can misplace our security in our wisdom, in our education, in our intellect, in our popularity, in our safety, in our children. We can misplace security in so many places, but people... Where is our security found, ultimately? My, my body, I'm 36, I think, all right? My father has cancer. He's 60, 62. My mom's had two heart attacks. It's very likely. There hasn't been a man in my family live lived past 70. Most of them died in their 50s. My security can't be in my health. My security can't be in the size of my church. My security can't be in my wisdom and intellect, because I grew up in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> I got discount knowledge. The, the first time I've ever been introduced as lovely was Today. Usually he's brash and scary, redneck. Our security and our identity is only in Christ. No matter what may come today, tomorrow, no matter what people say, Jesus loves me. Jesus loves me. This I know. And he's he's returning for me. And when we get to that place, I think we start to see the power of God unleashed in our life. In our church, I'm going to tell on you, um, or on the Advanced Network of Churches for just a second. I have one critique. I shared this this morning. I was, in a, I was in a conference with them this weekend, and PJ Smythe, doing a wonderful job, was teaching, and he got to the end of it and he said, that, Does anybody struggle with bitterness? And I was the only person in the entire crowd, 120 people, that raised my hand. <laughs> During Brexit, does anybody ever struggle with bitterness? <laughs> <laughs> I think sometimes we're too afraid to, to be fools for Jesus. And this isn't just an English thing. This is an American thing, too. We're very proud people. Very proud people. We need to be fools again. <clears throat> Courageous fools for Jesus. Most people in my congregation don't share their faith with their friends, not because um, they don't know how. They do it because they're afraid that people will uh, make fun of them, have contempt, or reject them. What did Jesus teach us? Did he say it was going to be easy to follow him? No. No. What did he say? We got to take up our crosses? And Follow him. What did Jesus say in Matthew 7 if we reject him in front of men? What did he say? He will reject us. Yeah. Have we taken that serious or are we too afraid to look foolish to our neighbors in pool about the foolishness of the gospel, which is the power of God to save men and women and children? We can misplace our security and our intellect and our wisdom and our methods and empty a church of the power of God. Let's keep reading verse 26. For consider your calling. He's just, he's just hammering it to the Corinthian church. For consider your, your calling, Corinthians, brothers, Christians. Not many of you were actually wise according to worldly standards, you might be wise in your circle, but you weren't wise according to the world, not many of you were powerful, not many of you, so some may have been, but not many were of noble birth, but God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise, God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong, God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are. How did God work? Did he work through the powerful? Did he work through the noble? Did he work through the highly educated? I mean, Paul was probably highly educated, so some. But here it says he chose what is low, despised, humble, contrite, people who are dependent fully on him. People not navel-gazing, do you say that? Yeah. But people who are cross-gazing. But yes. Jesus, look at what you did. And he chose them, right? He chose, he chose a low despise to bring the nothing things that are. A church is emptied of its power when we grip too tightly to control even. Here's what I mean. Um, when we think that we have to have men and women within the context of our congregation, or that we need to have this type of leader, people that are powerful, people that are noble, people that are of influence. Most of the conversion stories are people coming to Jesus in our context are drug addicts. You want a church that sees the power of God move through a community? You've got to go get the drug addicts. You've got to go get the single um, folks who are sleeping around on Saturday night. You've got to go get those who are hurting and broken. Because frankly, most of the folks who are okay don't think they need Jesus. We call it, Pastor Sean said, cookies on the bottom shelf. We call it low hanging fruit where I'm at. There's people who, who already know they need a Savior, they know they need help, they know they're broken. We'd call that the low hanging fruit. Find them and pull. Go to them, share the gospel. See what God does powerfully in their lives. Your church will look different. Some people won't like it. (laughs) But God moves. When we started really reaching out to drug addicts in our church, there was young families, moms and dads, who who left the church because they were uncomfortable going to church with drug addicts. Do you know what I said? Goodbye. (laughs) There's a church right down the street you can go to. I understand. It's okay. The truth is, I think if we look at King David's life, um, most churches wouldn't even let King David be a Sunday school teacher or a worship leader. What about Paul? He oversaw the martyrdom of Stephen. We know he persecuted Christians, drug them out of churches. Would you let him be a small group leader? Peter. Peter sticks his foot in his mouth over and over and over again, and right at the crucifixion of Jesus denies Jesus to like a little girl, embarrassed of Jesus to a girl. And then even after that, years later, he's got it all confused and he's excluding people and promoting a false gospel. Or trying to get a view of the gospel in Galatians two. Sometimes our, our bar for who God will use is way too high. <laughs> and He will use the Peters and the Pauls and the, and the Davids. The David who is called a man after God's own heart because he repented, but a man who blew it many, many times over and over again. Let's finish the scriptures. Verse 30, verse 29. Verse 29. God chose, or 28, God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being may boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus. So you can't boast. It's because of him, because of God, you're in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness, or making right, sanctification, and our redemption. So that it is, it is written, let the one who boasts, if you're going to boast in anything, boast in the, boast in the Lord, yeah, boast in God, boast in his glory, and so a church that's emptied of its power, though, boasts in itself, or emptied of power and effectiveness, boast in their selves, and robs God's glory, we start to think, for some reason, I did something, we did something, so God smiled on us, but it's, no, it says, you did absolutely nothing, The only thing you did was sinned. And Jesus set his sights on you, came and lived for you, died for you, rose for you. The cross is what saves you, not your work, but but Jesus' work. And so if we boast in, in anything, and it levels the playing field. That's why we can go to drug addicts. That's why we can go to the rich. That's why we can go to every nation because it's the cross, not culture. It's the cross, not power. It's the cross, not popularity. It's a blood-stained cross that's the power of God. And we boast only in it to everyone we meet. Not afraid to look like a fool. Because we know it's the power of God for salvation. It's the only way our friends and our neighbors and our families are going to be saved. A blood-stained <laughs> cross and so god in his kindness has has in the last season of our church life been taking us through pruning Uh, pruning away the messed up stuff so that we can see the fruit and so for the last year i've been thinking about this message (laughs) like what did we do in the beginning that god that that move of the spirit happened in our church where did we get off course because there's been a season of pruning in my own life and there's been a season of pruning in our church. God, where do we miss it? And and we came back to this. That we started elevating a man's gift or my gift or our friend's gifts over the corporate gift of of the gospel. That we started misplacing our security in our band (laughs) and in our effectiveness Instead of trusting in Jesus, that we were gripping tightly to control, thinking that we needed this type of guy, that God send us these type of leaders, and and then we'll be effective instead of just looking at who God was using right in front of us. And we had robbed God of his glory. We got cool, started stealing his glory. So why did our little movement in our small town our town's about 422 people we'll have about 7 or 800 adults right now on Sunday mornings. Why did our little movement of God in our small town actually happen? Here's my best observations. We cherish the cross of Christ for ourselves personally. Like we really love the gospel. We were naive. We were we didn't care who we told. But we really cherished the gospel personally. We preached the cross of Christ enthusiastically. We weren't ashamed. With everyone we met, we told them about Jesus. Didn't matter if they made fun of us or showed contempt to us. We placed trust in that message, not some weird method. We didn't have any method, we didn't have a clue what we were doing. We had no idea what we were doing. I'd never pastored a church before. We valued faithfulness over success. People who just be faithful to the gospel. Faithful to share it with those who look different. We did not fear. We had courage. And we risked a lot. We risked looking foolish to our neighbors, to our friends, to our community. And it's like this... God's spirit moved. Not maybe like I thought he would, but better than I thought he would. And man, I can remember baptizing my wife's parents. Baptizing my best friends from high school. It took eight years, eight years before my friends from high school came to church. I talked to them about Jesus for eight years. They told me no every week until they came Baptize him. One of them's gonna be a global one as a youth pastor in our church now. Man, I just want that again. And I want that for you. I want you to see the power of God and not be emptied of the power of God. But we gotta remember we plant, we water, we're just servants. God gives the growth. Please, God, give the growth here. Right? But if not, it's okay. Please, God, give the growth in London. Please, God, give the... Anywhere but right here. Please, God, give the growth. Let's press into his power again. Here's a couple of questions to help us press in, and I've got to go to another church. Um, Question for you. Have I valued an individual gifts of man? Like, um, we can do this in our our movement, over God's corporate gift. So do I talk about servants of God more than the cross of Jesus? Where is my security? A question for you to ask. When's the last time you risked anything? Where's your security right now? Where are you gripping tight to control, like white-knuckling it, we would call it, white-knuckling it, relying on your wisdom instead of God's power? If you're honest, what do you boast in? Is it in the Lord? Is that who you talk about most of the time? When you talk about Gateway Church? What are you boasting? Father, I pray that these men and women at Gateway Church will fall in love afresh with the power, which is the, the simplicity of the gospel message itself, that Jesus, you you uh, died the death that we should have died. Um, yeah, she you rose to life for us again. And only through your blood and your resurrection can we be made new. Father, I pray that the men and women here will will just cherish that fresh in their hearts and that Jesus, one day soon, there's no secret pill, as <laughs> we love, love that gospel that you will release a flood of salvations. There'll be men and women and children and teenagers all across pool who come to know you, who are baptized, become connected to this family. It's in Jesus' name we pray.